Well, in, in January, it's a great time in January to, to have uh, new goals, new resolutions, things we're going to say, I'm going to stop doing this and start doing that, or I'm going to prove at this or whatever. But Jesus gives us some great guidelines. Everything I'm going to share with you, we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, just all came from Jesus' mouth. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so that's a priority for the believer. Doesn't mean it's the only thing you can seek. Maybe you want a promotion or school, more schooling, or maybe you need a new vehicle for the family or save some money for retirement. All those things are fine. But the first priority for the believer is to seek first the kingdom of God. And so I think so many believers have Jesus somewhere in his top, their top ten but I want you to encourage you today. Put him on the top of the list, and he will help take care of everything else on the list. And so Jesus gave us a directive, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he gives us a couple of other things. Somebody trying to trick Jesus, which they never were successful at. Ask him a question they thought would stump him. Said, what's the greatest commandment in the, in the Bible? And he said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second commandment like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. So there's something we're told to do. And we're supposed to seek him, we could say it like this if we forget, is it heart, soul, mind, what is it? Okay, let's just say it like this. We are to love the Lord deeply and love the Lord completely. You'll find if you share your faith with people that you'll run into some people that when you talk to them about Jesus, they'll say, ah, uh, you know, you, if you just would point blank ask them, it's not the best way to lead in the conversation, but are you a Christian? They would go, ah. Uh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, I, I, I'm a Christian, because in their mind, but we're not just supposed to love the Lord in our mind, but with all of our whole being. So our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors, our choices, our priorities, our preferences, all those things, we need to start loving the Lord deeply with our whole being and love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And Jesus defined, who's your neighbor? Any other human being. Any other human being on planet Earth is a neighbor, so we're to love them. And then he gave us an assignment and a mission. He said, um, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go ye. So we are to go in partnership with Jesus. It's a co-mission. We are commissioned by Jesus to go on mission, on assignment. And so we're to make disciples of every people group on planet earth. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we are to teach them, this is what Jesus was speaking, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we're to teach people what Jesus commanded, what he taught, what he shared. And, and then he says, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he starts out saying, I'm with you. He ends saying, I'm with you. And so we're on mission together with God in our lives. And so I want to upset your apple cart a little bit. If you think you're, you know, a teacher, a farmer, a homemaker, uh, a doctor, a nurse, whatever, first you're not. The first thing you are, if you're a Christian here today, is a believer. That's the first thing you are. So the first thing you are. You wake up every morning. Now, as a homemaker, a nurse, a teacher, first, you wake up as a believer in Jesus. And then we are to take who we are in Christ to work, to school, to play, wherever. And so he becomes a priority in our lives. And we do our, everything we do, we do for the glory of God. If you're a plumber, you get up every day and go do what you're called to do for the glory of God. And so we have this mission but we have this mission, and we're letting the light of Jesus shine out of our lives, and we're telling people about the Lord. And, and by the way, you don't have to be aggressive and obnoxious. You should not be the person that all the work and all the school wants to run away from. You know, you should be the person that you've figured out and worked and practiced through trial and error sometimes how to connect with people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so 
you take that. But I do want to tell you, not everyone's always excited to hear your story about Jesus. Not everyone is. And by the way, first of all, if there's anything about your life that convicts them, they will not like that. Because none of us like to be convicted. But it is part of the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and of righteousness. And that's not a bad thing. Let me tell you why it's not a bad thing. Because sin produces, does anybody know what? Sin produces death. And so our loving Savior says, I don't want you to be full of sin because sin will start popping up and killing different areas of your life. It may not literally kill you, but it kills different areas of your life, relationships, whatever, because of sin. So love says, I want to tell you the truth, how you can back out and and go a different direction away from sin because Jesus came to give you life and that to the fullest measure. And so, but if you start sharing your faith, they're talking about the commands of Jesus, you will probably hear the world chant to you one of their favorite verses. It may be the only verse they know, and it's actually a legitimate verse, it's just not in context, and they will say, if you happen to challenge them on anything, well, the Bible says you shouldn't judge. You're not supposed to judge. You're not the judge. You're not this. But the truth is, we all judge. The, 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 what we need to figure out is how to judge rightly how to judge righteously, how to judge correctly. Many, many years ago, a person called us up and said, I want to meet with you and and with Darlene, and the next words out of their mouth was, don't judge me, okay? So I said, well, it wasn't my heart to judge the person. So we got together. They told us that that they they were a single person having a sexual relationship with their married boss. Now I want to ask a question. We don't have to be mean, but do we all understand that's not right? Okay, I just want you to know that. And so when people say, don't judge me, everybody pretty much would, even people who don't even believe there's a God, would say, eh, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. So we all judge stuff. If, if you ran into somebody and started talking to them, you found out their profession was kidnapping little children and selling them into sex slavery, would you judge that? Sure you would. And if they said, hey, don't judge me, I mean, I love the Lord, you'd be going, ah, <laughs> I'm a little confused about that. And you would judge that. And, and so would 99% of the people in the world. So we're all, we're all designed to actually judge. In fact, we saw a couple weeks ago, the Bible says, uh, Paul told us, said, don't you know that you should have the capability of judging things, situations and people, you should have the capability of judging them. And he said, don't you know you're going to judge the world, Christians, that you're going to judge angels? So we're called by, the whole counsel of God is that we're supposed to judge, but judge righteously. And there's a difference between being judgmental and critical and mean and holier than thou and self-righteous. You got that? And, and looking at something saying, that, that's wrong. That's, that's unacceptable behavior. And so we need to learn as Christians, how do we do that correctly? So you'll be told, Jesus never judged, and then then generally when I'm in conversations, um, people say Jesus never judged anyone. Not true. Jesus, They'll say Jesus never imposed his beliefs on anyone. Not true. But you'll hear that all the time. You can just look at different things in the scripture. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus was judging? I mean righteously. I mean not self-righteously, but righteously when he looked at the scribes and Pharisees and said, you're of your father the devil. You're you're like whitewashed tombs that are painted up pretty, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's pretty judgmental. He looked at the crowds who were listening to the scribes and Pharisees, and he pointed at them, and he said, hey, guys, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Two for one on that one. They're not making it to heaven if they continue on their path, and you're not going to make it to heaven if you follow their path. So he's imposing, now he's not imposing in a sense he's forcing them, but he is saying this is the way they're living wrong. Don't live like that. Remember the guy who was rich and he was a farmer and he had another bumper crop and he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. Jesus told this story. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I'll store up goods for myself for many years and I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. you got goods for many years. And Jesus said, you fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee and then who will get those things that you have stored up for yourself? And he said, this is how it will be for anyone who is rich in the world, but not rich towards God. He said, what, what can a man give in exchange for a soul? What is the value of a person's soul? So he said, nothing should stop you from going after eternal life. The rich young ruler, money has your heart, sell it all, come follow me. The rich young ruler left because he was rich and it made him sad. And guess what? Jesus loved him. So what the Bible says, Jesus loved him and was telling him the truth, loved him. Even to the Pharisees and the Jewish people that he, was, he appeared very harsh to, the Bible says on the triumphant entry in Palm Sunday that he stopped and he looked over Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, have long to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He said, you who kill the prophets, you who do... He, he challenged them and tried to shake them out of their self-righteousness with some harsh words. Why? Because he loved them. He wept over them. And so the component for the believer is this, love God deeply and love your neighbor like you love yourself. And when that foundation is laid, then you can begin to judge rightly and justly and accurately. Jesus teaches a whole thing called the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Guess what he's saying? Read the Beatitudes sometime and you will find out that what he's saying is, here's one way to live and it's the wrong way to live. Here's the right way to live. And so Jesus was Maybe imposing is a bad word, but he was saying, here's the way you ought to do life. Why was he saying that? Because he loves us. Because he wants us to experience life to the fullest measure. So I just called today's message, How to Judge. I just, it was humorous to me. How to ju- you know, everybody says, you can't judge. Well, yeah, we can, but we've got to learn how to do it as the scripture says. And, and when we are self-righteous and holier than thou, Remember, also, Jesus tells a story that a Pharisee walked into the temple. He walked into the temple to pray. And I like how the uh, King James says, it says, the Pharisee prayed unto himself. I like that, because it, in my mind, it's like, he wasn't praying to me, God was saying. He was praying to himself. And he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I, and he begins to re- rehearse all of his rule keeping. He says, and I especially thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. And that sinner over there, Jesus said, could not even look up to heaven. It says he was down on his face before God, and he couldn't even look up at heaven, and he beat his chest, and he said, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this guy left justified. The, right, the self-righteous man did not. So there's a way to judge rightly. And so we want to learn how to judge rightly. And so we're going to look at Matthew 7, where Jesus tells us not to judge. But there is something, you will, if you study the Bible, you will find out there's something called the whole counsel of God. Now, this is not a popular verse in today's culture, and it's not my topic for today, so don't get off topic. 
But the Bible says that when people get married, that wives should submit to their husbands and everything. It really does say that. Now, submission is not what the world says it is. But now think about that. There's something the Bible says. So wives, submit to your husbands and everything. So I want to ask this question. If today I told Darlene, hey, honey, we could use a little extra money. Would you take one of the spare bedrooms, since the kids have moved out, and start a meth lab? And, we, and should she say, well, I've got to do it. The Bible says, submit to your husband. No, we would say, there's a whole council of God, too, about sin and righteousness and right. So when we talk about judging, there's this whole council of God as well. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, they're not right when they quote this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's sowing and reaping principle, so I want you to know this. When you're judging righteously and holy and humbly and compassionately and lovingly, that's okay. And it's okay that that's the way you get judged. You want to make sure that any judgment you pass is based upon righteousness and humility and tenderness, not upon self-righteousness, because when it's time for you to be judged, you want to be judged compassionately and lovingly and mercifully and kindly. And so we need to be very careful. And then it says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, for those of you that plank, what's it, log, stick, why do you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus is being very, very specific to show these um, extremes. You got your brother who's got a speck in his eye. Now, have you ever had a speck in your eye? It's not good. It's uncomfortable. It's frustrating. You will fiddle with it forever. If you can't get it out, you will get somebody to try to help you get it out. Because, and the eye, to me, is so tender. So when Darlene says, I've got something in my eye, and I look in it, and just a few minutes, I go, oh, I've got to take a break because, you know, trying to touch the eye and look at the eye just seems so tender. You, you want to stay away from that. But you will seek out someone to help you. So look at this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, now, the actual Bible here has a comma, but so many people put a period there. You hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye. So we interpret it like this. You got a big log in your eye, and you're a big enough problem to yourself, so you should not be worried about anybody else. You have more than enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life, so leave everyone else alone. That's the way we take that. But let's see what Jesus actually said here. He said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We're supposed to be speck removers. We're supposed to, but we're not supposed to do it until we first deal with the plank in our own eye. This is wonderful advice from God that we should first look at ourselves and deal with the plank in our own eye, and then we will see clearly, Jesus doesn't say, don't mess with anything, don't help anybody, don't, don't look at a situation, don't judge the situation. He says, no, when you deal with yourself first, then you'll see clearly to help get the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, sometimes when people overcome something, they do become self-righteous and holier than thou. 
you know, you've been dealing with something for 20 years. You finally get victory over it by much prayer and energy and help and counseling or whatever. And then the next day, you can hardly tolerate anyone who has the problem you had for 20 years. That does happen sometimes. But a lot of times what happens too is you have tremendous compassion. And so now you can go to the person with the speck and you can say, hey, when I say I know what you're going through, I know what you're going through because you do have a problem here. I had a tsunami of problems in my life in that area. I know how hard it is. I know how tough it is. I know the prayer it takes. I know the help it takes. I know all that. I want to compassionately help you, humbly help you, kindly help you, because I know that speck is an annoyance in your life that you want to get rid of, and I want to help you if I can, if you will allow me. That's a totally different spirit than being self-righteous, holier-than-thou, judgmental, condemning, and just an otherwise nasty person. If we'll deal with ourselves first, it should produce compassion in our lives for others who have struggled. And most of you here, if you've gone through something, you have tremendous compassion. Uh, Rick Warren and his wife, they lost their son many years ago to suicide, and uh, he said, never waste your pain. And he has a compassion and an ability to minister to people who've gone through that because he really knows what that pain is like. Some other person will say, I, I, I could imagine maybe, I don't know. And, and honestly, their help may be wonderful help that they could give, but there's something about knowing that person has gone through what I've gone through that opens up an opportunity for ministry. So I want to encourage you, uh, judge righteously. And then I also want to encourage, because I want to pause here for a second, because it's real easy to look over that, but I do want to challenge me and you. In fact, just this week I was going over these verses again, and I went, yeah, and I thought, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, here's a plank you could deal with. And I was like, I ain't interested in dealing with no plank. I just want to help all those people out, you know. No, we got our own planks we got to deal with. I really didn't say that to the Lord. But, but the Holy Spirit may not let you get by that, and we'll just pause and say, hold it. So today I want you to pause and ask yourself, what's a plank that I have? What's a log or stick in my eye that I know the Holy Spirit would like for me to deal with? And then just bring that before the Lord and deal with it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. So don't miss that part, because it's real easy for us to skip over that and say, oh, yeah, I want to help people. Okay, great. Then let's deal with our own planks and our own, our own sticks so we can do it compassionately. So there's also sometimes a concept out there that if, you're, if you have a problem worse than my problem, then you can't help me, which is not always true. But then the next thing is, since your problem's worse than my problem, how dare you talk to me, and my problem's okay then? No, it's still a problem. It still needs to be dealt with. And so we've got to keep dealing with our problems and hopefully help people along the way as they deal with their problems. And they're much more receptive if you really live, I think James is the one that used this phrase in the King James, if you really live in the royal law of love. If you're really living in, the, there's something about when somebody's helping you or correcting you and you know they love you, that it takes a little bit of the sting off. So we're called by Jesus to love God deeply and love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Now let's look at this passage here in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Now remember, Jesus said, I want you to teach people to obey everything that I've commanded. And he wants us to create disciples, not just converts. So disciples, we learned last week, are people who 
who understand the basic teachings of a particular group or organization or guru. Now, in our situation, we're talking about Jesus. So we understand the teachings of Jesus. A disciple understands them and embraces them and then knows them well enough to share them with others. Now, it doesn't mean you know everything. Me, you, we don't know everything, but we can learn and share. That's what a disciple does. And so Paul was a disciple. The resurrected Jesus trained Paul. He was the first one that taught Paul the basic principles of the faith. And then Paul went and compared notes with the the actual living on earth disciples, but Jesus trained him. So he's a pretty good guy to say, let's see what he passed along being trained by the resurrected Jesus. So he's telling his young trainee, Timothy, this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. So I want to pause there. According to scripture, Jesus is the ultimate final judge. He is the ultimate final judge. He will judge everything. He will establish his kingdom. God, even those who would say God never judged, Jesus never judged when he was on earth, which is not true. But even if that were true, we still see here that he is going to judge. And so he has the ultimate say on this. And then he tells Timothy, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, that's not a fun thing, rebuke, who likes that, and encourage, we like that. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with what? Good teaching. And so, I think the King James says to be long-suffering. I mean, you suffer long with people as they go through things. They think the NIV says, with great patience do this. Here it says patiently. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. That's the, the, the source of the correction and rebuking and encouraging is the Word of God. The Word of God does that. And we see also in Timothy that the Word of God was breathed by God to correct and instruct and teach and all kinds of things. So here, the teaching begins to do that. If, if you and I will go to the Word of God and allow it to teach us, there will be times the Word of God rebukes us for our behavior. There will be times the Word of God corrects us. There will be times the Word of God encourages us. All those things happen. And so I believe Paul is telling Timothy, I don't really need you just to point people out in the congregation and rail against them. What I would like for you to do is to just teach the word. One day, many years ago, it's funny how you can remember things, I was standing back by the nursery, and um, a person walked up to me and said, after a Sunday morning service, they said, I felt like you preached on me today. And I said, I, I get it. I said, the word of God preaches on me, you, all of us. She said, no, no, I'm not being clear. I believe you designed that message to blast me from the pulpit. I said, wow. I said, that's interesting. I said, okay. First of all, let me, let me tell you this. If I would have a problem with you or something I feel that you need to deal with, you and I would sit down as mature Christian adults and have a discussion about it. I would not be thinking all week. And by the way, we knew each other well, so we were able to have this conversation. I said, I would not be thinking all week, I'm going to get her this Sunday. Let me do some more work here. Oh, yeah, yeah, this will get her. And, right, and I said, and I'm not joking about this. 
if I was foolish enough to do that, that would be the day I would step into the pulpit, look out for you, my victim, out there, and see you're not even here. You're off on vacation or something. And it would be what a waste of time saying, I don't care about anybody else who comes. I just want to get her. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? She said, I know that in my mind. I, I do know that. But I'm just telling you how I felt. And I said, I get that. I said, and I have no idea what it was in that message that so convicted her or rebuked her. But I said, something seriously the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate to you today. So I want to tell you, take that before the Lord. Take that very seriously before him because if it was that passionate, you felt like that message was seriously, honestly cultivated all week long to get you, then the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life on whatever that topic was, which I have no idea to this day. I have no idea what it was I said that made her feel that way. So if you ever feel that way, like you say, I feel like he was just trying to get me today. Well, listen to the Holy Spirit because I will not waste my time trying to develop a message just around you, okay? We would, if there was a problem, we would sit down and talk. But here's what I believe the scripture saying. The word of God has that power to it. The word of God has that power to correct. It has the power to rebuke. And thank the Lord, it has the power to encourage too. We need some of that too. And so be very careful to listen to what's going on in your heart when the word of God comes out. So for a time is coming, he told Timothy, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. We're living in that day, and we have been living in that day all the way back to where Paul was teaching Timothy. We're living in that day. People don't really want to hear sound and wholesome teaching a lot. So then it goes on and says, They will follow their own desire, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Hmm. All of us need to watch that. I one time posted something on Facebook after Easter. I thought it was a pretty innocuous verse. I said, here's a great post-Easter verse where we should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us and rose again. I had a couple people, but I know their lifestyle and how they want to live, and they felt, took offense to that. And I, so I privately got a hold of them because I don't see no value in arguing over a feed. It just is wasteful. And I said, I'm, just, I, I'm shocked that you pushed back on this verse. It wasn't meant to have any connection to anything. But I know... This is my opinion. I can't say I know this. This person knows right and wrong and knows the scripture. And that scripture, I think, rebuked them and corrected them. You're not living right. You need to change the way you're living. So to say we should no longer live for ourselves, which is how this person wants to live, and frankly, how every one of us want to live. I'll no longer live for myself, but I'll live for Jesus, who died for me and rose again, is convicting to all of us. Where we go, wow. And so you start, I start checking out my heart, you start checking out your heart, and trust me, we're going to find plenty of places where we want to live for ourselves and not just for Jesus. And so the Word of God has that convicting or that rebuking or that encouraging power, and we need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Otherwise, we will say, you know, you read something like, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus. And I don't want to hear a preacher talk on that. Let's see what else we got. Deny yourself. Say no to sin and yes to God. I don't like that teacher, and we'll look around, and then finally we'll find a teacher who says, God is nothing but a big bowl of jelly love, and you just do whatever you want, whenever you want, how you want, with whom you want, where you want, and God just loves you and actually celebrates you, and you go, yeah, I like this teacher. You know, but we have to say, what does the word of God say? 
Because I want to remind you, what's the word of God's motivation? To give you life. To give you life. You and I have nothing that Jesus has to get from us or he'll be less of a, of a Lord. He is God Almighty. Whether we reject him, receive him, do whatever, his goal is to pass life along to us. So, when we look at this, we say, okay, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, let's find out what Jesus was like. So let's look at this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29. This is Jesus describing himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Wow. There's no other God saying that. All the other gods of the world say, come unto me, and I'll give you some assignments. You know, they're actually, and I call them cults, but there are religions in the world that have some Jesus sprinkled into it. But in order to stay saved, you have to do a lot of work. And if you're not doing the work that you're told to do, you will lose your salvation. So, now I was tempted one time to teach a works gospel because I wanted to get some things done around here. I thought, boy, if I just dangled hell over them, if they didn't, you know, clean the church, maybe. But I said, no, I might as well just stick to the word. But there are, there are organizations that you will not go to heaven if you're not doing these certain works. Well, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wow, praise the Lord. Now, so we're supposed to teach people to be like Jesus and to obey his commands. So let's see what the Christians taught. Paul, who wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone, writes to this Christians in Ephesus. He writes this, and this is to believers. This is how we're supposed to treat believers, okay? As a prisoner for the Lord. Do we have that next verse up there? I might have skipped one, so forgive me if I did. This is how we're supposed to treat believers. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely what? Humble. And what? Gentle. Patient. Bearing with one another in love. Wow, it seemed like Paul was saying, I'm going to teach people to be like Jesus. So, when we judge, when we correct, when we teach people to be like Jesus, let's make sure we're not forgetting this. It, it is an ugly thing to come from a self-righteous, holier-than-thou, condemning, critical person, and then they hide under, I'm just, you know, Tracy Todd, I'm supposed to judge. Well, I didn't teach it like that. So, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is how we're supposed to treat other Christians. Well, let's see how we're supposed to treat unbelievers. Peter, the other great disciple, wrote this in, in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you suffer for doing good, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Don't forget that. If you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. You may want to share your faith with somebody, and you think my reward will be leading them to a wonderful relationship with Jesus, and they cuss you out. And you go, Wow. That wasn't what I expected. Just hear this. God will reward you for it. You suffered. God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid of their threats. Instead of being afraid of their threats, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. 
but do this in a what? Gentle and respectful way. Wow, so we treat believers with gentleness, humility, and respect, and we treat unbelievers with gentleness, humility, and respect. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. There's something about the way we live that should show the world here is a good life. And I know I've been making fun of them at work or at school, and I know I've been telling lies about them, and I know I've been mean to them, but when they put their head down the pillow at night, the Holy Spirit, who I want you to know this, loves them. Guess what? People who hate you, isn't this hard? Because we just don't want God to love them. You know what I mean? I mean, but they hate us, God. People who hate you, God loves them. And if you live a good life before them, when they put their head on pillow at night, the Holy Spirit can whisper in their ear, oh my goodness, look how you treat little Sally or little Johnny. They do not deserve that. They are good people. You know they're good people. You've seen the way they live. You've seen how they behave. You know they're good people. And they can have a conviction by the Holy Spirit. So keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So that's our goal when it comes to judging situations, judging sin, and teaching people what Jesus commanded. So in case you didn't get it, I'm going to say it again. We need to be humble. We need to be respectful. We need to be gentle. We need to be kind. We need to be compassionate. We need to be loving. When we're all that, still doesn't mean people will receive it, but we can put our head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience. We can say, okay, I, I try to be as loving as I know how to be. And along this journey, you and I will make mistakes. So we dust ourselves off, and we learn from it, and we go for it. And if we need to apologize to somebody for what we said or how we treated them, then we can do that. But we want to make sure that our goal is to be like Jesus. Now, sometimes Jesus would say very hard things and what sounds like very harsh things. I mean, answer this. Doesn't it sound a little harsh when Jesus looks at somebody and says, you're of your father, the devil? Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Yeah. Jesus, if you follow him around, the people who trusted in themselves, the people who were self-righteous, the people who thought their good rule-keeping would, would get them a, an entrance into heaven, Jesus had to shake them because they needed to have their self-righteous spirit shaken and broken. A lot of the people that he's very kind and gracious to were already broken. Remember the woman caught in adultery? She's broken. She's shamed. She's on her face. And Jesus did not have to break any self-righteousness in her, but he did tell her. He said, I don't condemn you either. All your condemners are gone, and I don't condemn you either. You know, I, so many things I love about Jesus. Jesus looked around at the people and said, you're right, the law of Moses says we should stone this woman. So here's, here's what we'll do. You who is without sin, cast the first stone. And everyone stood there, thought it over, and dropped their stones and walked away. But there was one person there who could have cast a stone. There was one sinless person in the group that could have threw a stone but he said these words to her neither do I condemn you but it doesn't end there either for those who say Jesus never judged Jesus never told anybody how to behave he looked at her and said now go and sin no more 
Other translations say, go leave your life of sin. Why? Because there's a better way. There's a better way. And that life, she knows it too. It doesn't produce living. It doesn't produce life. And Jesus wants to produce life. So as we pray today, and we're, we're going to extend this topic for one more week because I, I want us to see how, well, if we do this right, church, if we do this with the love of Jesus, it could change the world around us. It could change how they see us, how they see Jesus, which is much more important, not how they see us, how they see him, because we need to model what Jesus modeled. And I am convinced of this. If we taught the gospel Jesus taught, if we lived the life Jesus told us to live, wow, it would, it would just spark revival and renewal and a spiritual awakening in our hearts, homes, and in this land and in this world. 